Merry Christmas to you and a Happy New Year. Welcome to the big Boxing Day bonus episode of Unicorny, the antidote to underappreciated and overpriced business gifts. Before we get going, thank you for listening to our podcast this year and double thank you if you followed us and triple thank you if you gave us a review. If you did, we love you. This is the Unicorny Christmas Party. It's like your party, but without the drink, decorations, gifts, family, food. Well, I was about to say fun, but actually this episode was enormous fun to record because the whole crew joined me in the studio for the party. And the first arrival to our party was Ornella Weston, who is the team writer. You know, we publish at least one blog to support every episode, and they are all now written by Ornella, who, by the way, could also write for you, because earlier this year, Ornella set up Duckman Copy, her own boutique copywriting company, after spells both in-house and in agency. Now, instead of the usual small talk you get at parties while you wait for the rest of the revellers to arrive, I wanted to hear Ornella's views on what she's seeing and hearing as a result of being on the Unicorny Project. We started to talk about how many businesses are content bandwagoners. Ornella called out companies that create content with no clear purpose, just because they can, because they think it's what they're supposed to do, or because it's what everyone else is doing. But content should be different. Arresting. Bold. So, Ornella, welcome to this side of the microphone. What's your beef with aimless content? A lot of the time, it feels like clients come to you and they want, they've got it in their head that they want blogs or that they want ebooks, white papers, all that sort of thing. And you ask them, why? What, what do you envisage being the point of this? And they sort of just want it for the sake of it. They want to have ticked a box so they can go to their boss and go, look, look, we, we've, we've marketed. Okay. It's, it's done. And it doesn't fit into any broader strategy. Um, and frankly, no one's going to read the assets anyway because they're not trying to maximise for readability. They literally just want that box ticked. I get it. You know what I say? Box tickers be gone. Because it means as consumers of content, we have to wade through aimless garbage. Oh, so much of it to get what we want. But of course, it's not just the content that makes it harder to find quality, is it? As marketers, we're so guilty of piling into channels just because we think we might be able to build an audience there. TikTok. God, it makes my teeth itch. Smart asses keep asking me why I'm not active on it, which I'm going to come on to a little bit later. But first, Ornella, help me understand. Talk to me about TikTok. TikTok is, is sort of, in my opinion, the kind of tool of the devil. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in terms of it just fries your brain. There's nothing quite as stimulating. And you really do go, oh, I'll just have a look for five minutes. And before you know it, two hours have gone by. And you think, what on earth have I done with my life? Um and so much so that there's people theorising that um, TikTok is a tool of, of to sort of take down the West, so oh, yes. to speak, yeah. to just fry, uh, uh, you know, this generation's attention spans. So they're all uh, the hyper consumers. Boom. TikTok is the devil's work. It's the channel Daniel Priestley was talking about when he told us AI plus social equals hyper consumption. Oh, God, I so hope we're not all doomed to a future full of hyper consumers. It shows you things that you don't want to see, but because yeah. it knows that you're lingering on it, because for whatever reason, some of the stuff's sort of quite shocking. And because you do sometimes linger on it, you just, oh, have more 
videos of horrible things. I think from a brand point of view, like everyone was piling into TikTok like lemmings. And from a brand point of view, it's a horrible platform. So I, I came off it actually when I someone had put a video up of a dog being killed. And I adore dogs. I mean, I'm half dog myself. And when I saw a video and everyone piling in going, oh, that's really funny. That dog's really dead. It's like, do you know what? I don't want to be a part of this. But if you're brand sponsoring anything or advertising on TikTok and your content is alongside you know, frankly, sort of bedroom soft porn or animal cruelty or overt racism or all these things that normal brands wouldn't go anywhere near. Yet because TikTok's new and the audiences are growing rapidly, people were seeming to pile in. On top of that as well, the comments section and all of the feedback on TikTok is so much more savage than anywhere else. You look on YouTube, yeah. Instagram, LinkedIn, anything, and it's all quite sort of, you might go, this is rubbish, whatever. But like you said, it's sort of, I'm literally laughing at a dog dying, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's very grim. So, um, yeah, no, there are some businesses I've seen that have had success with it, like Sage and Adobe for B2B. Yeah, maybe that's the case. For me, at the moment, I'm afraid I'm going to stay in safer places. And with that, here we go. We have our next arrival in show producer Nicola Fairley. Hey, Nicola. Hey, Dom. Okay, Nicola, just to bring you up to speed, Ornella and I have been talking about content and channels, particularly TikTok. I just said that I like the safer places, like LinkedIn. But channel safety, I guess, is one thing. Uh, you know, is there maybe a problem of overcaution? What do you think, Ornella? The problem is, and I find this as, as, as a solo operator now, people come to you because they've seen something you've done and gone, oh, that's creative, that's different. And then when you ask, okay, what do you want me to do for you? And it's sort of, you know, something ChatGPT could write. So what happened to the... You know, you wanted something interesting and now suddenly you've got cold feet and you're scared. And I think that's possibly the hardest bit of my job is trying to persuade people that what they originally asked for is still what they want. Um, I get that because they're brave in the brief and then and then, yeah, get tamer and tamer. Everyone's terrified of being fired. Stand up and being counted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who's going to be brave before Christmas? Got presents to buy. Mm. No one wants to be fired just before Christmas. The sort of things we're talking about, you know, no one's sort of... um, suggesting anything that's sort of truly controversial it's just sort of yes. not being boring not being boring y- you wouldn't think that was quite so hard to do would you but anyway never mind let's change lanes ornella ask me a question what do you think about the traditional pitching model ah come am i allowed to swear is this an adult rated podcast it is christmas oh it's christmas so i'm not going to swear <laughs> what do i think about the traditional pitching model it is so broken it's so beyond broken that i can't believe people still do it is the honest answer Look, I know there are some people who try to run that process and try to do it in a way that is either sympathetic with a commercial model or in a way that at least accords some importance to personality fit. But the synergies between a client and an agency cannot be discovered by sending out an RFP that is shittily written. You're asking people to put their best creative foot forward when they've only got half the information you can't do it and what you well i think the big danger is and actually that podcast hasn't come out yet and i don't think we discussed it on the on air we discussed it afterwards but when rachel fairley was in and we asked her about her approach to pitching she never asked in fact she bans agencies from doing creative in the pitch process because her view is when you hit them with the brief you want their instant reaction you want their visceral gut reaction that's always going to be the best bit And if you only give them half a brief, the stuff they come back with is not going to hit the mark. But there's also research to prove that the very first idea is normally the best idea. And so they're selling the best idea for free. 
in the pitch. Mm. You, because yeah. your gut instinct, uh-huh. that visceral reaction, is actually the sum of all of your experience and insight. It happens naturally. It happens up in the brain. You can't make it happen, but you're absolutely right. That first reaction to it is, well, hopefully going to be the most effective, but also the most surprising idea. That's one of the things, by the way. I'm a bit on a rant. Can I carry on ranting? Please do. Okay, that's one of the things I hate about the pitching process. The other thing is the waste. Like the amount of money we spend on going to pitches where, A, we're not sure we're going to win and even if we do it takes us like a year to break even on the work we've pitched it's just mad there are so many reasons why pitching is broken and i mentioned the relationship thing as well like i don't think you should choose an agency just because you like them i never quite understand it when they go oh you've changed all the members of your team oh we really like them so now we're going to have to put this out to pitch people do by people then People do buy people, but why? But but this is a commercial, not a friendly environment. So yeah, you want it to be fun and you want it to be all that kind of stuff. But if agency team members leave and you think they are the brightest and you think they are the one that's going to move the dial for you, by all means, send it out to pitch. But if you just happen to like little Timmy and you're a bit worried about where he's gone, don't put the agency work out to pitch because the people coming in or the other people on the account, if they're the smart ones that are helping you move the dial for business, are still going to do that. I think a much better version of a pitch process. It's not easy to work, but you you need to find out how your agency team thinks. You can do that by spending time with them. You could do that. You could pay for a facilitated workshop and say, hey, we really like the way those people think. You could do it that way. You could do it by looking at all their previous work. God forbid you could even take some references, go speak to other clients and find out what it's like to work with them. But asking them to put their best presenters in their best suits to present half-assed creative and then make a decision for the next year on that. It's mad. Now, I don't I, feel strongly about it though. <laughs> what about, what about, what's your view on, on Ellie? You must have been in, a, oh, you must have seen them from both sides, I suppose. Yeah. Um, half the problem I feel like for the for client side is they send their sort of biggest and brightest or the best speakers whatever to go and do the pitch and then very often the people doing the work are sort of juniors and yeah yeah the monkeys but, but why would not the you? organ grinders but, but why wouldn't you right if you're the client who are you going to send to see your potential customers oh of course but then you know you ex- i don't know maybe i'm i'm just naive but if someone sent me their creative director i would think their creative director would at least be overseeing the production of that campaign which he yeah. should be which he should or be he or she should be in, in my experience that's it's not often doesn't it's, happen uh, you're absolutely right look if the commercial model was there if if agencies could charge enough for that to happen you would get the creative director on your account once they won it the reality is that not in this group, I would hasten to add, because we're obviously completely different. But in many companies, that creative director is on the next brief. They're not on your work. They've done their work. You had it for free at the pitch, by the way. Mm. So if you don't, if you want the creative director on your work, don't ask them to do the work for free up front in the hope that they can make a profit in year two. Find out how their brain works, bring them to the table, and then pay them to do the creative. There's a lot broken about the pitch process. Yep. There most certainly is. Oh, look, here comes the rest of the gang. I'm going to stop my rant now and get ready for the party. But dear listener, I'd love to invite you to rant. Time for some engagement. Uh, Reach out to us on LinkedIn or that stupid button on the right-hand side of our website that no one wants to use. You could be the first. And if you are the first, we'll send you a box of branded unicorny goodies like a pencil or a rubber or something small. Otherwise, we'll, uh, the budget will be broken and I get told <laughs> off our producer. Look, it's Christmas. We're allowed to be naughty. <laughs> Welcome to the Unicorny Christmas Party, the shittest Christmas party of the year. 
This is the crew that produces those shows that you love so much. In the room, we've got Pete, who is an amazing editor. We've got Ornella, who writes super crunchy copies so that you get your takeaways in easy-to-digest form. We've got Laura, who is super tech and makes sure everything goes out at the right time, in the right format, has all the right links so that you can find the shows you need. And you've got Nicola, who is the series producer, and me, I'm Rentagob. There we go. <laughs> There's the crew. So, Pete, what's been your favourite episode recently? Oh, crikey. I enjoy each and every one of them, Dom, obviously. Equally, yeah. Because it's quality content. Um, But I'm I'm an editor guy, so I'm not really a big business guy, even though I am a reluctant CEO. I have my passion and I turned it into making money, and I don't know how I managed to do that, but I did. So I thank God each and every day. So... A lot of the guests are talking about things that sometimes are a little over my head. But what I love about each and every episode is the bits where you come in and you explain it for people like me. Uh, And people like me, by the way. uh, Oh, absolutely. And you can get lost. I mean, sometimes you do talk about very complex things. And and I, I appreciate that, that you're speaking with very clever people. And even though... I do have my reading glasses here. I put them on. I look more intelligent. Look, look at that. But in reality, does it make me any more intelligent? No, it doesn't. It just makes me unable to see the other side of the room. But what I'm very thankful for is I'm very thankful for the bits where you pick up and you turn everything into language that I understand. So that's great. But um, I have actually taken away a lot of a lot of really good tips from many of the guests, yeah. and I've converted it into a language that I understand, and I've applied it into my business peter russell smith spoke a lot about playbooks and the importance of playbooks and that is something that i've applied to my business i work with several producers all within the business don't outsource anything um but if i need to pass podcast work editing work over to another producer and they've never worked on that podcast then all i'm doing is i'm passing a little playbook video over as well and they completely understand where they're going with it so that's been really helpful that was a really important episode i think so we Mm. we also took away the medicine from that and laura went and built out like the, the well you've probably seen it the sort of the process we follow to make this very podcast yeah and we're now in we're now building that out firstly to template um who does what because it's the people in this room that, that do it all but but then to automate some of the handoffs between the various different stages so that's been that's been really good for us too i think yeah it works on so many levels um i tell you somebody who i was so impressed by daniel Priestley. What a great guest. What it, Seriously, if you haven't heard this episode, go listen to it now. He sees stuff that the rest of us don't see. And I think you said that in, a, yeah. in, in one of the bits, Dom, when you were talking to him. Um, the way that he, he was talking about the future... And he's annoyingly smart, isn't he? He's annoyingly smart. He's really irritating. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, yes, yeah. He was looking, looking how you can look at US elections, and US elections will always show you the way to the next big thing in business, whether that's, you know, social media. Back in the day when we used to look at social media as something to share cat pics and nothing else, and now, obviously, we're all applying that and using that from a business perspective, but not until, you know, that happened in the US elections beforehand and he pulled on many many examples and uh, yeah it's an episode worth listening to if you've not listened to it go back and listen to that it's yeah. so important 
Have you listened to the second one, Pete? Of course, well, of course you have. I've listened yeah. to each and every syllable. Yes, Nick. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely, yeah. And, and there are so many great takeaways. I've actually, being an audio geek, I've got a clip here. The man I most hate, Maya. <laughs> Daniel, if you're listening to this, I hate you because you're so clever, which is the same reason I admire you. Through all of human history, we already had artificial intelligence, or we called it natural intelligence, and it's called soil. And what did we do with soil? Well, what we did is we prompted it, we put a little seed in there, and then we stood back, and the soil just magically knew what to do with the seed, and it grew uh, uh, wheat, and then we just harvested the wheat. Now, if you asked anyone, how, how's it doing that? How is that little tiny seed turning into wheat? And, like, how does that happen? We say, we don't know. We call it God, um, right? <laughs> but humans, what was our job was just to plant seeds and harvest wheat. Now... AI is like soil. You put a little prompt in there, and we don't know how it does it, but it spits out something of much greater value. In an era where soil is the main producer of value, there's a small number of people who get to own the land called landlords, kings, queens, dukes, duchesses, the aristocracy. They own all the land. Everyone else becomes a serf on the land, right? So their job is just to plant seeds and pick fruit and plant seeds and pick fruit, and hopefully the king doesn't chop their head off. And we're going to move into that society very rapidly where we essentially have people who own the digital soil, the AI um, infrastructure, and those are going to be the kings, King Mark Zuckerberg and Kim, Sergey and Larry. And, and then the rest of us become serfs uh, whose job is to plant seeds and pick fruit on the, on the <laughs> land, with a few exceptions. So there were merchants. Merchants are people who carved out their own little, you know, place of doing things and they lived on their own rules so ultimately now is this moment you've got to get ahead of the curve on this you've got to become hyper creative not consumptive you've got to figure out well what's my little piece of land that i want to own um i can't own the continent but i can own this little piece of land um and how do i get myself into the merchant class as opposed to being a surf he just makes everything make sense doesn't he Yes, oh, no. it does. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. smart. Ornella, what's your uh, what was your favourite takeaway from the Daniel Priestley duo? Um, probably the stuff around uh, people are either going to become hyper consumers or hyper creators, and frankly, that panics me. Is despite having a creative role, I am probably more aligned with a hyper consumer currently, and I, you know, I don't want to be a surf. Um, but it's probably right. it's it's. I mean inevitable we've got to stake out our own piece of AI no 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 no. yeah I've got to I've got to find that piece of land because yeah I don't want to I don't want to be a digital peasant in the future (laughs) (laughs) no no I tell you I've got 56 years of being a peasant I tell you what it's not a nice place to be Laura anything that that that, um, hit you from that like with a lot of the other episodes any kind of take on AI I quite enjoy Uh, but I also did like um, I guess his comparison of a business to a building so I, I was a bad musician for quite a long while if you play an instrument and you've been in a band when you listen to a band you hear it in a different way that's how he sees business though isn't it he looks at the business and he can break it down instantly into its component parts i see oh look it's a business mm. <laughs> he's already yeah nicola gosh i don't know where to start i'm a bit like a kid in a sweetie shop when it came around to him it's just i kept having lots of aha moments with daniel Priestley. so the whole episodes well we've got to listen to it then haven't mm. we Actually, we did listen to it again. We listened to episode one again last night just because it was so good. Even having recorded it, the stuff he says is so smart. What are you doing for Christmas, Laura? What's the plan? Having the in-laws round. Okay. Um, in our, we've just moved into a new home. So cool. um, it's a little bit of a construction site. Uh, but yeah, hopefully that'll work out. 
And w- which episode are you going to make them listen to? Um. <laughs> <laughs> this one, obviously, because this is our Christmas party. <laughs> Pete, you're going to have to edit in some Christmas music and the sound of glasses chinking because our budget doesn't run to actually having a beer. No, so that's just got okay. to simulate it. Hang on. Three, two, one, and cue the music. There we go. Perfect. There we and go. And cue on. the glasses, everybody. Cheers. There we go. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Welcome to Unicorn. <laughs> 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 During the series, there have been so many great AI chats, and it is the next big thing. And I know that it's overdone, but I must say that Unicorny does it in a slightly different way. Um, and we don't overdo it on the Unicorny podcast, but I think generally it may be overdone to some extent. It was Stephen Millman. Stephen Millman, yeah. He spoke about how AI does what it does. But he was basically talking about AI and cat pictures. The system is figuring out how to answer the question without being told explicitly how to come to an answer. And so the the kind of classic example is asking uh, an AI to figure out if a picture has a cat in it. And so you show it 10,000 pictures with no cat in it. Say, these don't have any cats. You show it 10,000 other pictures and you say, these have cats. You don't tell it what a cat is. You don't describe the cat. You just say, there is a cat in these, there's not a cat in those figure out how to tell me on the next picture you see whether there's a cat. And it will do it in ways that a human wouldn't do it. It's also very hard to sort of peel out exactly how they figure out how to do that, but some very smart data scientists and and AI uh, people have figured out how to extract some of this. And one of the things was is that it was looking at the tip of the cat's ear. There's something about the tip, just that very point of the cat's ear, which would be virtually invisible to a human looking at it, that it recognized was in pictures with cats that wasn't in pictures without cats. That would never be something we would think about. That has freaked me out, and it's changed the way that I look at cats. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> so of an evening, I used to, like, stroke the cat, but now I'm just looking at its ear and going, right, what's going on with that then? <laughs> I did want to question him. Like, Stephen's really smart, obviously. He knows oh, yeah. what he's talking about. But actually, I think it's bullshit. <laughs> what actually happens is when they want to train AI on what's a cat, Google sends out one of those recaptures to us and go, click all the pictures that have got a cat yes, in it. Yes. And that's how they're training the AI. Stephen Millman was really smart, actually, I thought. And um, he's also one of these people that has a way of explaining things, as he did there, with, you know, with, with that sort of helps you understand how the stuff works. It won't have aired yet, and I'm not sure you'll have heard it yet, Pete, but we did an interview. He mentioned Bill Harvey in the second episode and yes. driver tags. Yes, he did. And yeah. the reason he was mentioning that, we were starting to look at how... I think it was just maybe just after that bit when we were talking about how about AI and emotion and about how AI doesn't understand human emotion. Mm. And he was saying, well, Bill Harvey's got these things called driver tags. And AI could potentially be using the driver tags to help understand what human emotion is all about and how it's invoked. So we said, well, we've got to go find Bill Harvey and get him onto the show. And we recorded him last week. It's the only one I've done like it where I teed it up with a couple of questions and then said... Will you tell your story? And he spoke for 40 minutes without interruption. Wow. Wow. He's got an amazing story. It is a man. really cool I mean, story. It's amazing. I'm going to do a bit of a trailer here without, without a spoiler alert. But he started gravitizing in the 1970s and he said, We're not measuring the effectiveness of our advertising properly. Like, why can't we measure the effect on sales? And they said, Well, that's not possible. And he was going, well, okay, why can't we measure the effect on the people that our advertising has? And they went, well, that's not really possible. Mm. So he thought, well, it must be. 
And he thought, well, okay, there are words that are associated with a psychological effect or impact. There could be emotional or they could be words that incite or make you think or do things. And so he did the obvious thing that any of one of the rest of us would do. He worked out there's a million words in the uh, English language and yeah. it covered 22 volumes of a particular type of dictionary. So he hired 22 people to go through each of the dictionaries wow. and highlight those words. Yeah. And he found out that there was something like 15,000 words that you could use to measure the impact of advertising on a human being. And then he took the 15,000, he distilled them, distilled them, distilled them over time. And that's what his story is about. He tells how he decided to distill them down. Wow. And now... The, the absolute ultimate distillation of those is 15 words. Mm. So they're kind of, the, they're meta proxies almost. It's so, in, it's incredible, his story. But I think we might need to punctuate it with some writing skill and, you know, some editing skill. Mm. Otherwise, it's going to fry everyone's brains. They're all literally going to be lying on their sofa with springs <laughs> coming out of their heads. Yeah, oh no, what are you doing for Christmas? What are your plans? Uh, I'm just going back to see my parents. Yeah. yeah. Big Howard. <laughs> Big party? Yeah. Um, no, probably not. It's just me and them, so it'll be, oh. yeah, pretty chilled out. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds... oh, it doesn't sound very fun at all. It's, it's going to be great fun. <laughs> I'll tell my dad you said that. I've, I've met your parents. They're very nice. You're going to have a great You're going to hear it on here. Howard, I didn't mean it. We were just having a rant earlier with Ornella, actually. I don't know. We, we, we thought we might have some rants now. Mm. It is Christmas. It's the ideal of sort of time of year to tell everyone what pisses us off. <laughs> Everything pisses me off. <laughs> Christmas pisses me off. No, I'm not. I'm not a Grinch. I, I love Christmas when I'm four. I remember Christmas when I was four. It was great. There was so there was so oh, little to worry about. Like now, exactly. you have to worry about burning the food, about keeping exactly. everybody happy, about keeping everybody's drinks topped up. But back in back in. 1970, whatever it was, I'm not very good at maths, uh, that was a great year. That was a good Christmas. It was a good Christmas. Yeah. The other thing is someone ruined my Christmas even more mm. last week because they said, oh, it was David. Again, David Van Shake, mm. who um, is going to come out in the new year. Yeah. I think this was after we stopped recording. But he said, a friend of mine came up with this really cool thing. It's like you can tell if someone's a really good marketer by how good they are at giving Christmas presents. <laughs> Because you've got to understand the person yeah. and you've got to do like a product market fit thing. And it's like, I'm a terrible marketer. Yeah. I give the worst presents. I give, I mean, my theory is always going to sort of be that I'll give people what I think I would like, yeah. like a fountain pen. <laughs> oh, I love a fountain pen. <laughs> fountain pens, to be fair. I love a fountain pen. me dumb, don't <laughs> <laughs> I see equivalent of giving someone yeah. socks or something. Socks. Like that. Underpants. Good I do like practical I'd give socks. gifts, actually. <laughs> Ornella, what are you ranting about this Christmas? I shouldn't say the B2C stuff, should I? Go on, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, so, yeah. just, just get off your chair. We're amongst okay. friends. Liter literally no one's listening. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, when someone makes a really lowest common denominator appealing B2C ad and it somehow wins loads of awards and everyone's just absolutely going mental over it. And it's, it is just like a picture of a burger that says 99p under it sort of thing. <laughs> that's a good rant. Yeah. That is, because yeah. that, that's a craft. Mine was just a generic, I hate Christmas, which is really, you know, Grinchy. Yours is like craft related. The specific takedown. Cool, of a specific, like, uh, you, can, you can't see this because the video's not, my eyebrows <laughs> are going up and down at the moment. Are we talking that one? Uh, potentially. Oh my God. Wow. Okay, that's a big agency too. <laughs> Ornella doesn't work with us. <laughs> 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 
We don't know Matthew, who in LA. Martin Matthews <laughs> is going to do a drive-by. Laura rant at me. I think coming off like that advert thing, I don't like it when companies do emotional adverts. You don't like emotional I advertisements? Don't know if I should be saying this because oh we're a marketing God. group. I, Nicola, find it, I just find it quite disingenuous. Nicola, you get the tar, I'll get the feathers. <laughs> Ornella, you're going to run around a town. <laughs> hey, you said Ornella doesn't work for us. So yeah, <laughs> I'll go back on that. <laughs> I just feel like you're trying to sell something. So. Maybe if it's too overt. Like the yeah. mind games are too obvious. Like ducks. Okay, so um, TK Maxx's Christmas ad features ducks. They've got clothes and booties on. How do you feel about that? I do actually really like that. And anything with animals in okay so animals fine kind of a okay. fan of. so give me an example of the emotion kind of emotion that really pisses you off um oh i think it's, it's anything uh like there's a lot of kind of companies trying to be like oh we're really green and oh, stuff like that, that is kind yeah, of yeah yeah, yeah 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 i'm with you i'm with you on that, that i just yeah. i don't yeah. believe no because the chief executive's just taken a fast jet to colombia to smoke cigars <laughs> and do with his pals <laughs> well you know yeah we don't like greenwashing. No. I've decided yeah. I'm going to Colombia for Christmas, by the way, just then. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, like Colombian Embassy, don't sue us if you listen to this. If you do listen to us, you're our other listener. We just found it. Nicola, round. Oh, customer service. I know that'll set you off, Tom, beautifully. <laughs> it's like I'm fishing. What, customer service, full point. Or? Bad customer service. Oh, yeah, okay. The British bad customer service. Customer service helplines. Or, or, or collectively, <laughs> all from the it. physical experience to the the digital experience. Really, do you not like that moment, yes. Nicola, when you're having a nice meal, and the server person um, comes up to you and continually asks if everything's okay? Do you not like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, I don't. I like that. <laughs> so I've noticed in town they don't do in London they don't do that anymore because Good. they've already put seventeen and a half percent on the bill. Yes, yeah. So they don't yeah. care whether you like it <laughs> or not. not They're bothered. already going to charge you it. <laughs> Pete, come on, we haven't asked for your rant yet. Okay, it's not necessarily a Christmas rant, but I hate and I'm, and this is yeah I'm so talking shop here, but I hate. Okay. I hate it when podcasts are edited badly, or worse than that, not edited at all, because Ooh. people get it in their Why mind that, that, oh man, a podcast, you've got to be natural. Yes, you do have to be natural, <laughs> absolutely, but there's a big difference between a good conversation and a good podcast episode. And also, don't get me started, don't get me started on oh, people on. who use Zoom to record podcasts. Stop doing that stuff. I'm with you. Right? I've been invited onto a podcast. And they want to record over Zoom. Oh, no, and I don't, said, why, don't do why, it. why don't you just use our Riverside? Yeah. No, it's okay. We find Zoom works really well. Oh. But I'm, I get now, if I, if I turn on a podcast and there's like this echoey, thin voice, I just turn it off. Yes, I do. Yeah. Because I just, I know if they can't be bothered to use Riverside or one of those mm. to make the sound at least half decent, like they really made no effort. Yeah. The rest of it's going to be shit as well. Absolutely. If it's not locally recorded, it ain't worth listening to. I don't care who you are. And, <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, show up or shove off. Exactly. Show up or <laughs> shove off. Absolutely. Get out of my ears if you can't be asked to record yourself properly. Exactly. We only want good sound. Like, try going to Spotify and, tr and pressing play on a song and some, some person's recorded it in their bedroom and the sound's really shit. You just go... This is awful, and turn it off. Yeah, it doesn't Yet happen. Some people persist in recording podcasts. But also, it doesn't help. Can I just pick, piggyback your rant here? Mm. It doesn't help when people like Doak say, oh, yeah, well, when we started, we started recording on an iPhone. You don't need any equipment to start a podcast. Yeah. It's like, yeah. 
Yeah, but you were famous because you're on the BBC, you turd. Yes, But yes. not everybody has that. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't have the head, yes. head start. Quite right. Famous people... There's been lots of bleeping going on in this episode. Famous people get listeners. This is the adult one, it's Christmas, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. That is also really frustrating, Dom. You bring something up there. Famous people get listeners. They do, even though yeah. quite often the content is poor. BBC Sounds, we all pay for it, right? Every episode should be quality, it should be recorded well. It's the BBC, for God's sake. Exactly. It should be. But I listened to a new podcast, which was advertised on uh, Radio 2 yesterday, and I listened to it last night, and I went, I can't even bear to listen to this. It's recorded badly, and it's edited badly. Oh, no. What's going on with that stuff? And it's only because they're celebs that it's this big podcast oh, all of a sudden. No. Rubbish content by celebrities. Get out of my ears. Well, I thought we should pitch up Unicorny to them. The BBC doesn't do any business content. No, they don't. We should. Right. As a, this is our production team. Mm. We should get together, get some banners. But um, <laughs> yeah, if you're listening from the Beeb, as I'm sure you are, we have all the commissioning editors of the BBC listen to this podcast. Yes, yeah, that's a fact. Obviously, to get to get tips and stuff. Uh, but if you are listening, we're not averse to putting your logo on our album cover. But to be fair, if this was a BBC podcast, what you'd have is some old fart sat in the corner with a um, with a clipboard. Um, ticking things off and putting crosses next to things. We've got Nicola. Yeah. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, you can't say that. It's on the table it by the yeah, uh, Unicorny's got to go and join uh, Santa's sleigh mm. to help pull presents around the world for those poor kids. Uh, we all know Christmas <laughs> is all about you know, giving presents to kids. Yes. So Unicorny's got to bugger off. It's been great to get together. Um, hopefully we can find some sound effects for our Christmas cheer. Yes, ha- absolutely. Just one sec, Dom. Hang on. Oh. There we go. There was a. Um, there was one of those blowy things that comes out. There you go. Fantastic. <laughs> and we've all got party hats on. You can't tell because uh, it's audio only. A real life unicorn in the studio. <laughs> Can I do another rant about party hats? Why are they not oh made God. better? And why do they not work? When I've had when I've had like a couple of glasses of wine, I may start to get a little bit sweaty around my head when I get excited. Why do they last like ten minutes before they get wet and drop off? It always happens every time. It's a very good point. Maybe my head's too big because it normally was split before the mm. <laughs> sweat would fall. Yeah, one size fits all. I don't think so. Not here. We're the cheeriest Christmas show. <laughs> That's because we're so knackered from hunting unicorns all year. Thank you very much, everybody, for an amazing year's production, and we look forward to next year. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com.